Welcome to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We are so glad you decided to join us. We want to help you to know God, find freedom, and discover your divine purpose so that you can make a difference with your life. We pray this message encourages you, inspires you, brings you hope, and builds your faith. I was, re- I was reminded recently that Jesus is the greatest example of everything. And so if we want to be a better leader, we need to look to Jesus. If we want to learn to be a better husband or wife, we need to look to Jesus. If we want to, you know, grow in our abilities or our talents, we need to look to Jesus. If we want to make a difference in this world, you know, the best example is Jesus. If, if we need some wisdom in our lives, the best source for wisdom is Jesus. Are we getting this today? Jesus is the source. And so um, as I was praying about this, you know, like what, what should I, what should our, our, our messages leading up to the, uh, Easter Sunday be? And I was like, Jesus. And so I wanted to start a series of messages um, called Red Letter Stories. You know, if you have a Bible, the, the, the words in the red letters are the uh, words that Jesus spoke. And so um, I wanted to look at three stories that Jesus told. The Bible word for stories is parables. Jesus would use a a parable or a story that relates from modern life to teach a a deeper principle. And so Jesus would use a parable uh, to teach the kingdom of heaven. Um, It's interesting that Jesus didn't teach us how to have a better life or how to be a better person. Jesus came. He said, I'm preaching the kingdom of God and repentance. So if you're wondering what Jesus' teachings are all about, that's what it is. He would say, the kingdom of God is like, and then he would tell a story. He would teach a parable. In fact, any time that he would preach, he would use one of these parables. Let me show you this in Scripture, Mark chapter 4, verse 34. Anybody brought your Bible with you? Okay, we, we, we can make a little bit of noise in the house. It's okay. It says this, verse, Mark 4, verse 33 and 34. It says, With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, meaning the crowds, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. So we see the picture here that when Jesus would preach to the people or preach about the kingdom of God, he would preach as much as people could understand. You know, that's why preachers have a bad time keeping on on track sometime with the time. I have two clocks that are going to help me today. And somebody said, praise the Lord. (laughs) It says, as much as they could understand. He's preaching to the the crowds with parables, teaching them about the kingdom of heaven. But then we see after that, after the crowds have gone, Jesus would gather his disciples close. And he would, it says he would explain to them a deeper truth, like what is, what's happening behind the story. And, and, And really that's, the part of the great commission that we say we see Jesus teaching he said go into all the world and preach the gospel so that people could be saved but he said he also said make disciples this is what Jesus is illustrating in this moment he's preaching the gospel to people but then he's making disciples when he pulls his disciples in and he he's saying okay guys here's what that meant here's here's how this works and so there's these two pictures that we see Jesus operating in that's why our church we exist to accomplish this same purpose we say it this way we exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus that means we're going to tell as many people as we can about salvation in Jesus alone. 
So we exist to reach people with the life-giving message of Jesus and connect them to their purpose. That's the discipleship moment. That's why we have groups here at Victory where we can gather together in small groups and talk about what God is doing, talk about where we're struggling or, or all the good things that are going on. We do the same thing with our leaders. We gather together. Okay, guys, let's pull in close. Here's what God is speaking. Here's what God is moving so that we can lead together. We're reaching people with Jesus, but we're also making disciples. Amen? I think it's important we understand that we didn't just make this up on our own like we want to base everything that we do as a church as believers on what Jesus established because he said there's one thing that Jesus would build on the earth when he was talking to Peter about the kingdom of God and, and what it was he said I, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it Jesus never said that he was building a Starbucks or building a new storage facility. No, he said, I'm building one thing on this earth. It's the church. And what a joy it is that we get to be part of the one thing that Jesus said he was building that the devil will never be able to overcome. And so that's why we love the church so much. And um, here uh, in Scripture, we have 38 different messages or, or parables that are written down that in the New Testament that Jesus preached. Um, you can read those 38 parables in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's what's called the Gospels. Um, that's where uh, these stories are, are from. And so I, I kind of pulled out three different parables that I want to look at over the next couple weeks leading us up to Easter that I believe will be powerful in our life. The first one I want to look at today is the parable of the sower. Um, this is found in Matthew chapter 13 and in Mark chapter 4. That's where I'm going to read from today, Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. If you've got your Bible, the free U version Bible app, you can turn there. Uh, if not, they'll put it on the screen so that you can follow along. It says this, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat, it, uh, and sat in it on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. I think this is significant detail uh, that, people, that, that was written in the story because sometimes as people, we get it mixed up thinking that a large crowd is not of God, but it is. I would even go further to say we love megachurches. Whatever the size of the church, like, um, like it's important. Numbers matter. They're pointing out in the story specifically that Jesus is speaking to a large crowd. Jesus cares about the large crowd and he cares about the small crowd. Come on, somebody. But that's why, as a church, I think it's important that we never get complacent enough. See, sometimes we come into a church and we're like, well, you know, I just want to be able to connect. I got to make sure that I get what I need, that I'm being fed. And that's great. I hope you get that. I work really hard to make sure that God is speaking, that it's not just something I made up, that, that you're being fed through, uh, through the word of God. But listen, um, when you were, uh, you know, a baby or a little child growing up and you only got fed on Sundays, you would have died. So please don't come into church thinking that you're finally going to get fed spiritually. If that's the case, if you haven't been fed spiritually since the last time you were in church, we need to get some defibrillators out and shock you to life. And some of y'all, that's how it is. You come into a place and you're like, oh, finally a place where there's nothing negative going on. Where, oh, man, I just feel so great. And I hope you experience that. But please don't let this be the only place that you're spiritually fed. 
Jesus cares about you as an individual. He cares about the small crowd. That's why he pulled his disciples in, the 12 small crowd, and was like, guys, here's, here's the, let me unpack the truth behind this. And he's preaching to the multitude. So that's why I believe that every church has to grow. It's not so, listen, we, we are believing God and work really hard to help this church to grow. That's why we invest to rent a place like this with 849 chairs in the room. Not so that you can have six chairs between you and feel safe from whatever or, you know, going on. No, we rent the facility so that we can have space for the multitudes to come in. Because the reality is, is that heaven and hell are real. And every day, I mean, I, anymore, it seems like every week, every month, somebody's texting me or reaching out or I'm seeing a post about somebody who stepped into eternity that they know, someone who passed away from this earth. Listen, your life does not end on this earth. You're here for just a moment. You are a spirit. That is the real you. That is the part of you that is either dead in sin or alive in Christ. The scripture says that without Christ, our spirit is dead. But that's, that's where the term born again. Anybody ever heard that term born again? It's kind of thrown around the Christian world and Christianese, right? So if we take the cookies off the top shelf and put them on the bottom shelf, being born again means, anybody like it when the cookies are low? Come on, because I can reach those. The word born again comes from this, this idea that when Christ comes into our life, when a person puts their faith, their trust in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, right? Our spirit is born again. Our spirit comes alive in Christ. We're dead in sin, but through Christ, we are born again to come to life, right? The spirit is the real you. And the truth is, is that you will spend eternity in one of two places, either in heaven with God forever or separated from him in hell forever. And it's not based on, did you do good things? It's not based on were you a nice person or did you come to church enough or did you say enough prayers or any of that stuff. The decision that is made is made on this earth by each individual person, whether to receive Christ as your Savior or to reject him. Every person has that decision to make. I can't make it for you. Sabrina can't make it for you. She will tell you just like I would what's the right decision, but it's up to you. You can't get into heaven based on how good your mama and daddy were. No, it's just based on your decision whether to put your faith in Jesus or to say, nah, I'm good. I'll make it on my own. That's how the decision is made. So God doesn't send people to hell he's mad at or that he's disappointed in or he thought should have done better. No, it's just based on what decision we made on this earth, right? Jesus, uh, th that's why I believe every church has to grow. Like, like otherwise... When we come and we're like, oh, did I get what I needed, or no one hugged my neck today, or it's just too hard to get to know people. Interesting, no one goes into Target and says, oh, it's just too hard to get to know people. This super Target is too big for me to shop in. But then when we come to church, this church is too big for me to get to know people. This church is just too big. and I just... do, do, do we see the deception that we bought into? Like, it's not the size of the church that determines if people will know my name or if I can get connected or if I can receive from God. That's just the condition of my heart. Is my heart too hard to receive what God is doing? Am I too closed off, too prideful to, to take a step out, to be in an uncomfortable space? It's uncomfortable to get to know people. It just is. It's awkward sometimes, you know. That's just, that's just the reality of people. But it, 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 the size of the church doesn't determine that. It just depends on are we willing to step into that space or not. 
And so I just encourage you. Like, I love small church. I love big church. But we are a church. Like, we're focused on reaching people with the life-giving message of Jesus and connecting them to their purpose. And if that offends you, I'm sorry, but we're just not going to change that. We're going to be focused on bringing more and more people into the house because people matter. Aren't you glad that someone, that you matter, that someone made a space for you to be in? And what a bummer if all we care about is did I get what I need. What a bummer for the people who don't know Jesus. One day, the truth is, we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we will give an answer for everything we've done in this body. And he'll say, but I, I, I put you there. What about all the opportunity I gave you to reach people, to bring people into my house? Well, it was just, you know, I, I liked that it was small and I didn't, I didn't want to have to invite anybody because that, uh, what if they think that I'm kind of one of those Christians or, or what, you know, like, man, I've just, I've just in, lately just become consumed with this idea that when I stand before the Lord, man, I want to be able to say I did everything possible with whatever you gave me everything I could. Like, that's what's significant. I w- one of the parables that Jesus shared, I wasn't going to share this one, but I just feel to share it. it says, he says there was a person who was in a field and uncovered a treasure in the field. And it was so valuable, this treasure, that he buried it back in the ground and went and sold everything to buy this piece of land. He said that's what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is like, it's worth everything we have. Our, all of our time, every second of every day, every penny that I could possibly ever own, every, everything that would come into my, the kingdom of God is worth everything. And so I'm just going to live my life to just bankrupt myself to make sure that anybody and everybody can stand before him and be his son and his daughter. Come on, we are going to make heaven crowded. It says Jesus was teaching the large crowd so large that there wasn't enough space for him to stand. Wouldn't that be a thing that we kept having to move the stage back because we needed to fill in this dance floor right here? Come on, some of y'all didn't know we had a dance floor, but we do. It's right here. What if we had to start putting in movable chairs in here and we had to keep moving back because the building was struggling to contain that? That's what's happening right here. It says he taught them many things by parables. And in this teaching, he said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. So he's, he's teaching us a parable about farming. Um, we farm when we go to Publix and we buy it off the shelf, you know. Like, I'm no farmer. Um, but what a farmer would do back in that day is they would take their plowshare behind a horse or a mule or some cattle. They'd put it into the ground and break up the ground so that the ground was open. And then the, the farmer would come by with a, with a bag around his waist, grab a handful of seed, and throw it across the ground, trying to get it into the the place where the ground was broken up so that the seed could go in and so that it could grow. The problem was, was that when you would throw that seed, seed would kind of go everywhere. It would land in all different kind of places. And so Jesus has given us this picture as this farmers throwing the seed of where the seed would land, the different types of ground or places that the seed would land. And so he's telling us about the first type of ground here is pathway ground, right? Um, he said it, the, it fell along the path. The birds came and ate it up. It couldn't get into the ground. Some fell on rocky places. 
where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the seed was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because it had no roots. So there's the second type of ground. This is the stony or rocky ground. Uh, third type of ground, he says, other seed fell among thorns. Uh, Florida terms, that's weeds. Come on. Fell among the thorns and the weeds, which grew up and choked the plants out so they could not bear grain. That's the third time. And here's the fourth one. Still other seed fell on good soil. Everybody say good ground. Good ground. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And I just always imagine people in the crowd doing what we just did, probably like checking, yeah. Go ahead, check your, check your head, both sides. You got ears. Some of y'all got earrings in there looking fine with your dangly earrings. Come on. We have ears. Jesus could obviously tell that they could hear him, so he wasn't talking about natural hearing. What is he talking about? He's talking about spiritual. Like, can we receive, can we hear what the Spirit of God is saying? And the truth is, God is speaking all the time. It's not like we have to beg him to speak. He is a speaking God. It's just, can we hear him? Are we in a place where our lives are open to what he's saying? Jesus is saying that not everyone will. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He said this multiple times throughout Scripture. But this is where uh, I get, uh, where I pray every Sunday. Many of y'all know I pray we are good ground, right? Uh, this is where that comes from, this whole idea that we will be good ground. Like, it's who we are, it's who we're going to be. I'm going to be good ground today. Jesus said, if you have ears to hear, let them hear. Can we hear what he's saying? Or maybe we've allowed too much pride in our hearts to receive what he's saying. Oh, I already know this. I've heard this one before. Uh, uh, like, the reality is, is that God will speak to us if we'll be open and so Jesus is speaking this. He finishes his sermon. That's his mic drop, if you have ears to hear. And then it says the scripture tells us that the crowd's left, and he's alone with his disciples, and they're like, Jesus, help a brother out. Because his, his disciples were fishermen and tax collectors. They weren't farmers. So I'm sure they had some questions. He's like, why do you always talk to us in parables? Why, why can't you just be straight up with us and just tell us how it is? And Jesus would go on to say, he said, there will be a group that understands the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, and there will be another group that doesn't. And man, when I read that, I, I don't know about y'all, but I want to be in the group that does understand it. That goes beyond just hearing some words and allows the words to penetrate who I am, to transform me, to change me, so that I can be more like him. See, that's... See, that, that's the powerful thing about being in a group of believers, uh, being part of the church, is not that you would come and have a great service. Like, I hope you do. Like, we work really hard to make that happen. But more than anything, I pray you are transformed today, that you are changed today by being in God's presence, by worshiping in, uh, his glory and hearing his word. And, and so Jesus said there will be those that, uh, that will get it and those that won't. And um, in the next few verses, Jesus would begin to explain the parable and how we can be in this group that gets it. Come on. Verse 12, he says to his disciples. Now, remember, this is where he's gathered in his 12. Okay, guys, come here. Let me tell you this. He says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? Did y'all catch that? 
Did you catch it? So Jesus is saying if we don't understand this parable right here, then it, it, like, it is the key to understanding all the rest of his teaching. If we won't understand this parable, if we can't hear what God is saying through this, then we're going to miss everything else. This is the key. What do keys do? Keys unlock things. Keys let you into a place to open a door into a place you hadn't been before. Like this parable, Jesus is saying, is the key to going beyond hearing, to understanding, to wisdom, to application, to knowing. Why is it then that some people have all the Bible stories memorized, but they're living like hell? Why is it that people can know about David and Goliath, but they can't defeat a single giant in their own life? Why is it that people know about the cross, they know about the death and the resurrection, and yet reject him? Well, because they haven't come to this place where they can hear what God is saying. They haven't opened the door with the key of this parable right here, of this story. Jesus would go on to explain it to his disciples. He said, the farmer sows the word. So this is someone who is communicating or sharing the word of God, the gospel of Jesus, right? And this happens in many different ways. Right now, I'm the farmer. I'm sowing the word of God in you, right? The word of God is being sown. Every time you listen on a podcast, every time you open up your Bible, or if you've got the free version Bible app and maybe you put it on to read the word of God to you, like it's sowing the word of God. Every time the word is being shared, not opinion, the word is being shared, then that's the person who is sowing the word. And listen, all of us are called to be sowers. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a sower. Come on, look at your second choice, your other neighbor, say, you're a sower too. We're all called to sow the word of God into people. Maybe that's through a text or a phone call or an email or a a conversation. Uh, Maybe that's when in the morning you speak the word of God over your, your children or over your spouse before you go to work or you go to school. We say a lot of things, but are the things that we are saying sowing the word? Because, listen, our words, our thoughts can only do so much. But the word of God is a transformative thing. The word of God can change us. Hebrews 4.13 says, The word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. So if you want your kids to be able to learn to divide between what is of the world and what is of the spirit of God at a young age, just begin to be passionate about speaking the word into them. Like, you have the ability to speak whatever you want, but I'm just telling you, like, we're going to be those that sow the word of God over everything else into our families. Jesus continued. He said, some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. So Jesus is saying, he's saying, we are going to be one of these four types of ground. That's what he's saying. He says, some people are in this type of ground. Some people are this, and some people are here. Like, we are all one of these types of ground. Even right now, as I'm sowing the word, we're going to fall into one of these types of soil. Right? He says, as soon as they hear it, here's the first ground, the pathway ground, Satan comes and takes the word away that was sown in them. Um, what would happen for the farmer, he would use his plowshare to break up the ground, but then if you would walk on that broken ground again, what would happen? Well, it kind of compacts it back down. So it can't get in there. And so what they would do is they would, they would make these rows of the, the ground that is broken up with the, with the plowshare. They're breaking up the ground so the seed could go into it. And around the perimeter of the field where the ground is broken up, they would call the pathway because that's where they would walk. So the farmer would walk in a circle around the ground, around the pathway to throw the seed. 
So as he's throwing the seed, he's not walking across the part he just mixed, he broke up. He's walking around the pathway. You think about a pathway, if you ever go hiking uh, uh, around Florida, there's, there's trails or pathway. And it's an area that's been walked on so much that you can kind of tell where hundreds and thousands of people have walked before. Maybe it's like that part of your lawn when you get out of your car in the driveway and you've got that one little spot where people uh, walk, you walk back and forth every day and the grass is a little less green, a little more down. Anybody know? what I'm talking about? It's because we've begun to make a path because it's been traveled so much the ground is getting more and more compacted. And he's saying that's how some people's hearts are. Our lives can be like this hardened, compacted soil where nothing can get in, nothing can penetrate. It's just hard. There's hardness in this place. And and so He's saying here is people with attitudes, the pride that says, I don't need God. I don't care about all that. I can discover my own truth. doesn't matter what God says. I'm good on my own. There's pride. It's, you know, pride is the root of sin. That, that's where the devil began. It says his heart was lifted up as he was standing in the presence of God. And he said, I want everything that God is supposed to receive. Pride will harden our hearts every time. And we see pride running rampant in our world today. It's an arrogant attitude. Satan comes to that person and steals the word. Some of us know people like that. <laughs> don't, don't nudge your neighbor right now. Just, just keep those elbows locked in, you know. Uh, some of us were those people. Some of us were the hard ground, but that's the good news. That hardened ground can be broken up again by the power of God. And if that's where you find yourself today, man, God brought you here to begin to break up those hard places in your life. See, there's a difference between being broken before the Lord and just being like, just being destroyed broken. God doesn't break us to hurt us or to destroy us, but God does break us so that his spirit can penetrate who we are. Because if we refuse to be broken before him, man, then we are hardened by pride. Because, man, like, we, we are not, I, I know you think you're all that in a bag of chips, you know, and you're great. You're valuable. You're beautiful. You're all that stuff. But without Christ, you're nothing. Like, and we never get it right all the time. Like, we've got to be careful to make sure that we keep ourselves in this place that we never think we're good enough. We never think we are advanced or spiritual enough that we don't need to come back to God and, and say, God, I need you. That's why I love the prayer of David in Psalms 139. He's going on talking about, God, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You know me. You're with me everywhere that I go. But then he ends this whole declaration of how good God is to him. And he says, search me, God, and know my anxious thoughts. Know every part of me. Like, search me. Find in me. I just recently flew on some airplanes, and they are searching you. You know what I mean? Like, you got to stand like this, and then, you know, then you got to walk through another thing really slow, and then they send your bags. What, they're searching for something that doesn't belong. They're searching for something that was not supposed to be in there. And here David is saying, God, search me. Know me, God. Know every anxious thought. Know, he says, find if there's any way offensive in me. Anything, God, that offends you, let me know about it. I don't want it in me anymore. And I wonder, when was the last time we came to God that way? Saying, God, is there anything about me, anything hidden that I haven't wanted to address? Anything that offends me in you, tell me about it because I want to get rid of it. He's saying, 
Search me. Find anything offensive in me so that you can lead me in the way everlasting. It's only God that can lead us in the way everlasting. This is this kind of brokenness before God to say, God, I can't get it right without you. I am dead in the water without you. I can't even, I, like, that's why there's so much confusion about identity in our world today. Because people are trying to do it on their own. Because they've allowed their hearts to become hardened with pride. And God wants to bring us back to this broken place to say, God, my identity is in you as a son, as a daughter of God. Come on. So even if that's where you are today, listen, it's never too far. It's never too late. As long as you have breath in your lungs, it's never too late. Because God specializes in this, bringing dead things to life and, and breaking up the hard places in us to produce a harvest. Here's the second type of ground Jesus would tell us about. He said, others are like seeds sown in rocky places. They hear the word, and at once it's received with joy. But since they have no root, no depth, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So this is the shallow person. The, the, they have no root. They have no depth. There's just the external. That's all they care about. They care about their preference. Doesn't matter how it affects anybody else. We see there's people that are really happy to be in church. Uh, great message today. But then they go about their life and nothing changes. They go back to where they were, cussing the same, hating people the same, doing their own thing. And nothing has really changed. Why? Because there's no depth in their life, right? And then, they, you know, maybe they even took notes. They had their Bible or whatever, but then all of a sudden they're at work and somebody's like, why do you even go to church? Why do you pray? God doesn't listen when you pray. God doesn't heal. Why do you believe in God for healing? I mean, you're just wasting your time on that. And then because of persecution for the sake of the gospel and the word, right, there's a difference between persecution over the word of God in your life versus just people just being haters, Sometimes we think it's just people are, like, when people are just mean to us and they didn't like my shoes and that's persecution. No. Sometimes people just ain't going to like you, but that's all right. You don't need to please them anyway. He's saying persecution for the word, being persecuted for the gospel of Jesus. People are hating on you because you're starting to live your life different. Listen, when you start to live your life different for Jesus, when you begin to be saved and changed and transformed from the inside out like other people, some people ain't going to like it. Be like, what's wrong with you? Like, why can't we go party and live like we used to? And be like, I just, like, Jesus changed me, and I just, I don't want that anymore. I want more of what he has for me. And so my priorities, my life, my decisions are just changing because what Jesus has done for me. And what an opportune moment rather than just walking away and be like, and he can do the same for you. Come on. Persecution, listen, never comes to bless you. It always comes to steal the word that was sown in your heart. And here he's saying when the heat gets turned up around people in this type of ground, like they abandon the word. They walk away from it, uh, you know, because the persecution is too intense. And for those that are new to the faith, you know, please don't buy into the lie that says that once you get saved, everything just becomes sunshine and roses and skipping through the meadow. Like that's you're still going to have to live life. <laughs> you know, like. Things are still going to happen. The economy is still going to go up. It's still going to go down. There's still going to be people that don't like you. There's still gonna be, there are going to be people that don't understand your life change. But it's okay. Here Jesus is telling, telling us trouble, persecution, distraction, busyness. Even, I believe, this comes in the form of opportunities. Even good opportunities. 
But there's a difference between just opportunities that show up and the ones that God leads us through. Every open door is not God's open door for you. And every closed door is not God's no. Okay. So um, we've got we've to begin to, when there's an open door, Jesus, is this the door you want me to walk through? Versus just, oh, that seems good. I've seen people walk through open doors where they th- they're getting a promotion, but it requires them to move. But God never told them to move, but they do it anyway because it's more money, more whatever, and they think it'll be better. And, oh, this seems like God because God's going to bless me, and that means I'm going to get more money. And, and, and that's true. That's part of God's blessing, but that's just a very limited scope of what God's blessing actually does. And so then they uproot their family. They uproot their kids to a place that God never told them to go. And then all of a sudden they can't understand why everything's falling apart. Well, We've got to begin to come back to this place. Jesus is saying all this stuff is going to come at us, but they're coming for one reason. It's coming to steal the word to try to quit, get us to quit believing the truth. That's what it means to steal the word, that we would back off of our convictions, that we would begin to give up on what we've been praying for and what we've been believing for. Like quit believing in the truth that we heard from God's word. Listen, we've got to get back to the place where we hold on to the promises no matter what we experience, no matter what we see. Here's the, here's the third type of ground Jesus said. He said, still others are like seeds sown among thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things comes in and chokes out the word, making it unfruitful. So it was growing. It was growing. Like there's growth taking place, but because of three specific things Jesus is saying the thing that was growing, that was about to have fruit in it, is choked out. These are people who love Jesus with all their heart. They come to church, they sing the songs, and and they they leave and they're trying, but it's really just them trying. There's nothing really changing. They never see the fullness of what God has for them because they've got three things coming at them, these three things Jesus said, and they haven't recognized it and or dealt with it. They've allowed the thorns to remain. The first one, Jesus said, is the cares of this world. Um, And that's, you know, if you live for five seconds, like we've all got this coming at us. This is just the daily cares of life, paying bills, going to, uh, you know, school, doing the dishes, making dinner. I I would love to be involved, but I just got so much going on in my life. I've got to run the kids here, and I've got to be there. I would love to be in a group, but I've just got all this stuff on my schedule I've got to take care of. Business is really busy at this time. I talk to so many people like, we'd love to be in church. We'd love to do this, but we've got this this travel ball team, or business is just this, and so I've I've got to do this. And then three months later, they're like, Pastor, please pray for me. They just don't know if they can keep up and all this stuff. And I'm like, where have you been? You told me that God brought you here on purpose. Like, well, things have just been going and we haven't been able to get there, but we'll try to make it back. What's happening is the cares of this world is overtaking the word and choking out what God has put inside of them. It's the cares of this life. And honestly, it's not always the things that are ugly. It's usually not sinful things. It's just things of this life. He just said cares of this world. So it can be good things. It can be things that are, you know, a blessing. Listen, God doesn't want you to just to go through this life like Eeyore, like nothing is ever good. Thanks for noticing. He doesn't want you to be broke, busted, and disgusted, and not have enough, not have what you need. No, God wants you to have abundance. It's all throughout Scripture. But he, what he, what he, so he doesn't mind you having things or, or going on vacations or whatever, any of that. But he does mind when those things uh, override or uh, take priority over his work. Like, that's the problem here. Jesus is saying that the cares of this world have come in and choked out the word, choked out the spirituality in who God has made us to be. It's become dominant. It's when we think that 
that things are, I have to take care of this. I have to do this. No, you don't. You don't have to do that. The one thing that we have, I mean, that we get to do, like, honestly, you don't even have to serve the Lord. You don't have to. You, we, we get to. We get to serve the Lord. And it's just coming back to this place where the word of God, the family of God, being in his presence is the dominant thing in our life. Here's the next thing Jesus said is the deceitfulness of riches would come to, would come to choke out the word. Man, we are living in this day and age, aren't we? That's, that's the thinking that money or wealth are the things that are going to fulfill us or make us happy. They just won't. They just won't. Um, but living that way causes a person to chase after more and more and more and more and more and more. And that's great. Buy the beach house, go on the vacations or whatever. But listen, here's the thing is that if vacations, uh, like, I mean, I don't take the most vacations. I love to take vacations. I love to take me time. But there are people that take more vacations than me that are uh, unhappy, unfulfilled, uh, anxious, depressed, all these other things. Well, so if, if having more stuff and doing more stuff was the key to happiness and the answer, then why wouldn't they be more happy and fulfilled than me? It's not the answer. Fulfillment, joy, uh, uh, like in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. Come on. He is the Prince of Peace. Xanax is not the Prince of Peace. So what are we seeking? Jesus said, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. So it's not that he doesn't want you to have other things in your life. It's just saying priority. And, and he says the deceitfulness. That means deceitfulness, that it's tricky, isn't it? It's, it's, it's sly. It's trying to trick us into something that we think is, is true, but it's just, it's just a twisting of God's principle. That's why Jesus said this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. So there will be people that have been tricked by the deceitfulness of riches in the kingdom of God. Here's the last one Jesus said. He said a desire for other things. Status, influence, we want to be influencers, power, acceptance, entertainment. Maybe not things that are bad, just other things. Desire for other things. What's your desire? Gadgets, music, movies, games, sports, hobbies. Like we can be consumed by whatever we want. But the Bible does say the Lord is a consuming fire. Like if you get close enough, once you start to get close to him, you will be consumed by him. Like, what is our desire? And, man, I just, I just encourage you, like, just ask the Holy Spirit, what have I been consumed by lately? It's the thing that you always run to. It's the thing that you can't do without. Like, some people are consumed by their, their little device, you know, like they can't be without it. Like, it's their, you know, emotional support device, <laughs> you know. And then they're like, this is my whole life. This is everything. Or maybe it's their sports team, and they're like, uh, like this, this is, you know, like uh, I live for this. And they're talking about a hobby or a thing. And I'm like, that is true emptiness. I'm just saying, we have the opportunity to serve the king of all kings, to know the creator of, the, of all of creation, the one who put the sun in its place and the moon in its place. He spoke one time, and it's been burning in the sky ever since without any government's involvement, without any, uh, you know, person saying the climate is changing or whatever, any of that. No, God just spoke, and it was, and it's been burning, and it will continue to be in its place until he says it shouldn't be that way. We have the 
opportunity to know and be close to and be called a son and a daughter of that God, like that one. So there's nothing wrong with enjoying your hobby, enjoying your thing, having the whatever, using your platform, using your influence to share the gospel. Like, like do it. That's great. That's why God gave it to us. But there is something wrong when that thing becomes a thorn that is choking out the word. Come on. There's a time and a purpose for everything under heaven. There's a time to hear the word, to worship, a time to serve others, a time to play. Come on, a time to eat some tacos on Tuesdays. We can do whatever we want, go wherever you want, be consumed by whatever you want. It's up to you. Just understand what Jesus said would happen. Like if we get, give more and more of our time, more and more of our affection to other things, he said there will come a point when the word of God has been choked out and there's nothing left. And then we go up against the trial, up against the storm that Jesus said would come in our life, and then we wonder why everything is falling apart, and we want to pray, throw up that 911 emergency call, and, you know, like, like we wonder why things not going the way that the Bible says. Well, we've been consumed by other things. Jesus said it would happen. It's just a decision we have to make. But look at this last kind of ground. This is where it gets good today. Come on. Jesus is talking about those of us right here who are in this place. Come on. Anybody else? We're going to be this type of ground. He says others are like seed sown on good soil. Let's say good soil. He says they hear the word. They accept it. And it produces a harvest, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. Come on, that is who we are. That's who we're going to be. We're going to be good ground in this place. Amen? We're going to hear the word of God. We're going to accept it in our lives and let it produce the fruit of the Spirit in us. 30 times what was sown, 60 times, 100. That's my prayer for you that not just like, like, not, that it wouldn't just be in a moment where you hear something and whatever, but that, man, it would produce 30 times what was sown. 60, 100 times. That there would be abundance. Do you see the picture, the overflow of what God wants to bring out of your lives? Imagine if you had 100 times of what you needed. Ooh, now we're going to build some schools. We don't need weeks to raise 20,000. If, if, if we've got a room full of people that have 30 times, some of us 60 times, some of us 100 times of what was needed in our lives, come on, let's go. We're going to build our own building. We're going to build some churches in Africa, across Europe. We're going to build some more school. You know what I'm talking Like that is the purpose of abundance in your life. So the word of God, that's what he's talking about, right, as the word is sown, it will work or produce the results of what it promises in our lives to the degree of attention, the amount of priority we give to it. So if the word isn't priority, if being in relationship with him, being close to him isn't priority, please don't be surprised if you don't see the blessing and the favor of God, the promises of God taking place in your life, right? Because it will work to the measure, the amount that we give priority to it. Mark chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus said, with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you even more. That's not just uh, like an offering time verse. With the amount of attention we use to the word of God, that's the measure it will be given back to us. With the amount of passion that we worship him, that's the amount uh, will be measured back to us, right? Like there's a principle here. Like So when I can only give this much of myself to the word, then that's how much I'll get back. If I use a little teaspoon of my time, uh, I, can, I can read five minutes a day. And if that's where you are, start right there, baby. Come on, let's go. Because a teaspoon of what God has is better than a whole lot of nothing. So please don't be condemned today. Come on, but we're just going to raise the bar. 
Come on, just be drawn. So if, if all I can do is a little teaspoon, I'm going to start right there. I'm going to read one chapter a day and begin to allow God. I'm going to spend five minutes praying. In fact, I believe a great way to start spending time with God is to take 15 minutes. Everybody say 15. Everybody's got 15 minutes. I know when the alarm goes off at 630, it feels like you don't have 15 minutes. But you do because you snooze it six more times and it's been like 50 minutes. And you <laughs> That's funny right there. I don't care what you all say. So what if you set up for 615? And you got up for those 15 minutes. Spend five minutes reading a chapter in your Bible, five minutes. Spend the next five minutes in worship. Put on YouTube and find a five-minute song. Those songs that we use today, one of them is called Jesus, You Alone or, or Firm Foundation. Just put one song on and just, just block everything else out for a few minutes and just worship with that recording. No one else will hear you. And then spend the last five minutes in prayer. Prayer is just talking to God. Thank him for this day. God, thank you for giving me life today because did you know tomorrow's not promised to you? So if you wake up tomorrow, you got something to praise God for. Thank you. And, and just, just tell him all the stuff that's in your heart. Uh, pray like David prayed. If that's the only prayer you know from Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24, God, search me today. Would you, would you know all the anxious thoughts? Because I got some things coming today that are going to cause some anxiety in me. I need your help. You know, talk to God however you talk to him. This is, this is what it says in, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7. It says, wisdom is the primary or the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. So of all the stuff we're gathering and trying to get in this life, what if we just started our day that way, getting wisdom from God? So here in our last few moments together, I want to give us uh, a couple things that are going to, some ways to help keep our heart to be good soil. Because if we're not careful to keep our heart good soil before the Lord, and maybe that's your prayer in that five minutes, God, help my heart to be good soil today. God, help me. is there any pride in my heart? I don't want to be prideful. God, I want to be good soil, God. Some things to help our hearts to be good soil. The first thing, if you want to be good soil, we have to remove some impurities. What did Jesus say? There will be ground that is hard. There is ground that is stony or rocks. And it's some things that if those rocks were removed, what would happen? It would be good soil. Other soil, he said, that would have weeds, things growing in it that are there to choke the life out. What if we remove those weeds? Come on, we're going to have to remove some impurities if we want to be good ground in our lives. And too often what we're doing, though, is we're living, um, I'm right here on the edge of the stage, and I've actually stepped off of here before because I got too close to the edge. Some of us are living our lives like this, trying to balance right on the razor's edge of, God, I'm trying to serve you, but sin is right there, and I want to get as close to it as I can without falling off into it, and our life has looked like this. But what if God actually wants us to live like way over here, away from the edge, not as close as we can to the edge? Is this sin or not? But but what if by the Spirit of God he would give us wisdom to be like, I don't even want to get close to the edge. God, I, I would rather just be close to you and be in your presence. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and those who run to it are safe. Well, how do we run to the tower of the name of the Lord? Well, when we feel pressure, when we feel anxious, when we feel like, oh, God, I don't know if this is right. I'm, Jesus, I'm just going to draw near to you. Right? He says he, he, those that dwell in the secret place of the Most High, like he will cover them. He'll, his protection will be there. How do we dwell in God's presence? Well, when, when we're going through things in life, we don't know the answer. When we are feeling a certain kind of way, I'm just going to retreat and be like, God, I need your presence right now. God, would you, would you speak to me? I don't want to be near those things. I'm going to stay over here where you lead me, God. 
Like it's learning to remove some of those impurities, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you and guide you, not through condemnation. See, that we get it mixed up. Condemnation will always push you down. It will always try to tell you how bad you are, that you're not good enough. What is that doing? That's the devil bringing condemnation to push you further away from God. But the Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come to convict us. Conviction and condemnation are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Conviction will point out the sin the same way condemnation will, but then will draw us to a place of repentance to be closer to the Father. It will always draw us closer to him. Not to point, not pushing, you're so bad, you're just this. No, no, I've been redeemed. God, I, I, I'm so sorry, I missed it. Thank you for your grace in my life. Right? There's a difference between the two, and we need conviction. If you haven't been convicted, then you probably haven't been listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, because that's what Jesus said one of his jobs was. We need to remove some impurities. Another thing we need if we're going to remain good ground is to regularly rest. I got to work on this one. But here's, here's where people have gotten off track in the name of rest. Rest is not inactivity. Rest is not laziness. It's not doing nothing. It's not taking time off. If just taking time off was rest, then when people take time off from work and they come back and they're like, I'm so tired. I just like, that's not real rest. Like, please go home and take a nap in the name of Jesus. That's great, you know. But that's, you know, that's not rest. That's a temporary thing that provides a physical moment of, of rest and relaxation. But what we mean here by regular rest is godly rest. I 100%, listen, believe in downtime, vacations, unpack your box. Please sleep enough at night. There's nowhere in the Bible that says you'll be more holy if you only sleep three or four hours at a night. No, Jesus rested. Jesus slept in the middle of a storm. His disciples are the one that came and woke him up because they're working so hard to try to do something for Jesus. He said to get to the other side, we got to get there, and I just got to keep working through the storm. What's Jesus doing in the storm? Sleeping. Some of us need to just sleep more at night. We need some rest. But if that's all that was needed, then that would be enough. But it's not enough to keep our hearts good ground to produce the fruit of what God wants. We need proactive rest in God. That's why he says keep the Sabbath. You know, it's that one day in seven to rest, right? It's rest. It doesn't mean that we do nothing. This is what the Sabbath is all about. It's about honoring God. That means I cease from the cares of life. I cease from some things that want to consume me to reset my life. That I can pause from the normal speed of things. That's why, you know, Chick-fil-A is blessed because they're closed on Sundays. There's a day to rest. And if you've been at Chick-fil-A, you know there is a speed of life that happens there. And it's just a beautiful picture. Like if you drive by there today, you might be thinking, oh, I'm going to get me some chicken minis real quick. No, you ain't. And I'm sorry for bringing it up. It's a day to pause, to rest, to gather in church, to be in his presence, to hear the word, to serve one another. Sometimes people are like, well, I'm not Sabbathing because I'm serving on the team. No, baby, you Sabbathing. you resting because the truth is those that give of themselves to serve others are the most happy, joyful. Science has actually proven. They've done studies to show that people that lay their head down on their pillow at night and just rest well are those that have given their lives to serve others. 
It's about eating together, being together, laughing together, taking that nap, spend time with your family. Listen, if you are go, go, go all the time, eventually your heart will become hard. It will be overrun with reeds, weeds. It will be stony. Like uh, we need some time to pause regularly and rest in the presence of God. And if you have no rest plan, you will need a rescue plan. I love what Jesus said, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Some of you are like, that is my life verse right there. I am weary and burdened. He said, come to me and I will give you rest. Now, if we pause right there, you could easily believe that rest means like, oh, well, I'm going to take some time off and kick my feet back. But that's not what he said. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, we don't have, uh, in our normal day and time, like, we probably don't have a yoke. But what a yoke was, was something uh, with their oxen or a, a cattle. They would put, when, when, when it was time for the cattle or the oxen to do what they were called, created to do, plow the fields, accomplish some work on the farm, they would put a yoke or a wooden peace over their neck to keep them going in the right direction, to keep them on track. And a, a quality yoke that when you look at the word that Jesus translates, it was custom cut, custom built from that wood for that specific ox. It wasn't generic. And Jesus saying, let me put my custom fitted just for you yoke on you so that as you're doing what you were created to do, he says, you will learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Some of us haven't found godly rest because we've been taking time kicking back. Me time, Netflix and chill or whatever. Fine, do that stuff. That's great. But when we want to talk about, well, I'm doing it because I, I need rest. And like, There's rest in serving God and what we're created and called to do. And that doesn't mean we never take time off. Please, please don't hear what I'm not saying, but there's just a difference. We've got to understand the difference between the two. Here's the, here's the next one. If we're going to be good ground, we've got to add some fertilizer. <laughs> this seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because really, fertilizer is manure, poop. Come on. Like, Pastor, you're telling me to get rid of impurities and you want me to add fertilizer? Yep. Stinks a little bit. Some, we, too often we're obsessed with trying to make our lives seem so perfect, we don't want to stink any little bit. Listen, everybody's... Everybody's going to stink a little bit. We need to add some manure. The goal of fertilizer is to add necessary nutrients to the ground to allow it to become fruitful. We've been trying to avoid all the bad stuff, but what we don't realize is that through the bad stuff, God is putting something inside of us that allows us to actually be fruitful. And in fact, science will tell you if ground never has fertilizer added to it, if ground never has rest, it will run out of nutrients. And even if it was good ground, it will no longer be able to be produced because there's been no rest, there's been no fertilizer added to it, no nutrients put back into the ground. So how do we add fertilizer into our lives? Look at what James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever your life is going fine and hunky-dory and there's no problems. Is that what he said? No, don't let me get away with stuff. He says, consider it pure joy. Not just joy, pure joy. You know, that kind of joy, like when you're laughing so hard, you're crying, you know, like pure joy. He's writing to Christians, my brother and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I don't know about you, 
If I could have helped James make this scripture a whole lot more popular, I could have made it like uh, on a whole lot more magnets on people's refrigerators and a whole lot more social media posts if it would have just said what we said at the beginning, like consider pure joy when, when you're blessed all the time. Consider pure joy when you have no problems and everything's good. You know, like that would have made it a whole lot more encouraging even, right? But that's not what he said. This is James, the brother of Jesus, and he says, consider it pure joy. Like, pure joy. Like, you're so excited. Like, here comes another trial. Let's go. Come on. I can't wait to get in the middle of this hardship. Let's, you know, like, thank you, Jesus, for bringing. Like, we are pure joy on Monday when those chicken minis are ready at Chick-fil-A. We are pure joy when we get that raise or you get the unexpected check in the mail. Anybody ever got an unexpected bonus and you get a little little Pentecostal? You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, thank you, Jesus. The Lord is moving. That's some pure joy. You know, I've had those moments. I hope you have them too. But he's saying that kind of joy. Pure joy when you go into a trial. And James is not trying to be a Debbie Downer. He's not trying to be a gloomy Gus. He's just trying to get us to stop focusing on the smallness, the wrong fraction of the picture. He says, consider pure joy, brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kind, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Still not encouraging because perseverance is only needed when you want to quit. I ran track and cross country growing up and when you'd be running for a long time because the coach was trying to help us get better and you feel tired and you start getting that cramp in your side and your body is screaming at you, stop it. Your legs feel like a thousand pounds each and you're still trying to run. That's when you need perseverance. When everything is horrible, when you're experiencing the worst pain ever, perseverance is needed. So he said when we go through trials, he says, the testing of who we are produces perseverance. It's that stick to you know, the stuff that pushes you through. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature. No longer, see, hashtag manure equals mature. So that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Do you see it? The struggle, the hard, the trials that we go through, it will test our faith. It will test us. Some people will be the stony ground and the word is choked out. Some will be the shallow ground because they haven't let their roots go deep. And the, the plant won't produce. It will die off. But he says, we're going to be those. We're going to persevere through the hard things. We're going to decide that manure is not just gross. Like, it's not going to pollute us. It's going to actually bring us to a place of wholeness and purity and maturity in Christ. We're going to walk through some things. You're going to walk through one way or the other. You might as well allow God to work in you through it. Thank you for listening to the Victory Orlando Church Podcast. We hope today's message helps you take another step closer to knowing God and finding freedom through His Word. 